0: Hello everyone, I'm Alex Gonzalez and welcome to the Disruptor Studio where we feature amazing leaders that inspire innovation, transformation and greatness. And today we once again have Kat Cole on the show and we are so fortunate for her to be able to return to the Disruptor Studio. Kat was one of the early guests when we were filming the Disruptor Studio in front of a live audience. You could actually go to our YouTube channel to watch this Disruptor Studio or just stay here on your favorite podcast platform and go to episode one where we replay that entire show Kat inspires so many people so we thought it would be great to have Kat come back to talk to us here in 2020 when so much, so much is going on we thought it'd be a good time to hear from Kat to get her insights, her perspectives, and how she's leading at a time like this and how she continues to stay inspired so here is our 2020 discussion with Cat Cole on the Disruptor Studio. Hello, Cat Cole. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Well, uh, good to see you again. And um, you know, of course, this is our second time here in the Disruptor Studio. And so, first of all, I want to thank you because you've been definitely part of the foundation of kind of building this brand of conver- you know uh, conversations we get to have. And and I'd like to say that I know a lot more than the first time we talked, and maybe a little bit of a better host, but I I kind of doubt that. So, but we'll we'll, we'll do our <laughs> best here. Awesome, uh, glad to be here. Um, so listen, uh, it, it's been when we last talked here in the disruptor studio it was late two thousand eighteen, and uh, so and first of all, anybody who's listening here, I encourage them. We just uh. I could just drop that conversation on this podcast series and go to YouTube and see it. And it's great. We got to learn about your journey all the way from a teenager to, to at least that time. And just incredible stories, Burning Man, all kinds of stuff we got to talk about. But let's, um, let's talk a little bit maybe since 2018. Definitely in your personal life, there's been some changes. Your family has grown. So what's, what's happened over the last uh, you know, year and a half or so?
1: Uh, Family wise had a second baby and so now have Ocean who is almost three and Arrow who is about to turn one.
0: Outstanding and how and is is uh, for you and uh, Daley, your husband mm-hmm. have you gone to full zone coverage with the kids or how how's the uh, coverage of two kids now?
1: <laughs> oh it's great you know we, we're both pretty busy so um, you know occasionally it's got to be one parent watching two and we figure that out. Uh, and then when we're together, it's man to man.
0: Absolutely. Which is, uh, which is always very interesting with a couple kids. Well, listen, um, you know, so obviously that's, what's happened for you personally and professionally, obviously still focused brands, very active in mm-hmm. everything you're doing. Um, uh, you know, from a social perspective, which I definitely want to come back to, but let's also, um, kind of bring us to where we're at just in the world and and, and maybe take you back to, um, I guess, around middle of March and COVID, um, of course, you know, coronavirus, however people were describing, became a reality and kind of a creeping reality that hit really hard. So talk maybe, take us back maybe to that moment, somewhere, whatever that day was in March, where this thing became very real. And what I'd love to, I'd love to hear about is, how'd you process that? Because there had to be this personal processing, because it's talking about a pandemic here, and also, you know, professionally. So how, how did you process that, and how'd you pivot in, in, in your life there?
1: Well, I had a bit more heads up um, than the average American, because a good chunk of our international business for focus brands with Auntie and Cinnabon and Jamba in particular is in Asia. So this started hitting at the end of December in Asia in a very public way. So, um, both personally and professionally, I had a few more months to pay attention, to digest, to take it seriously, uh, to think about the business, to think about the world, what could happen. Um, so I had a bit of an unfair, um, ramp up (laughs) period. It wasn't shocking. Uh, then also at the end of February and beginning of March, I happened to be in the ICU with what was my then seven month old. She contracted a horrible respiratory virus that wasn't COVID, but that landed us in the hospital as COVID was spreading in the United States. And that resulted in, um, nursing shortages. If you remember in those early days there were no tests for COVID in the U S. So any medical professionals were having to self quarantine if they had any type of symptoms. And, um, so it was just a very weird time. My personal experience in early March, that was so abrupt, had less to do with COVID specifically because I saw it coming from our business in Asia and more to do with the fact that I'm in a hospital hearing about a pandemic coming, no test available and a baby who is on a feeding tube and an IV drip um, because of a, a really bad respiratory virus that turned out to be something called metanumovirus. Um, and we, we got out and she's okay. And came, she came on with a feeding tube for several weeks that I had to manage while Um, I was navigating now the domestic impact of COVID on our franchisees and our business. So those four weeks, (laughs) the first few weeks of March being in the hospital, the next two weeks coming out, then really dealing with how this might affect the business, the uncertainty for our employees, our franchisees, and our communities in general was a very heavy four weeks. Um, But I think from a how did we process, how did I process? How did we process? You do what you have to do. you know, when you're you I've got a baby with a feeding tube, I've got to figure out how to do that. I've got a business that is in many states being at least temporarily shut down because no one's sure of transmission and what's happening, and um, needing to be a leader and have clarity and be clear on what our priorities are. And at that time, outside of my family staying healthy and getting my daughter better, My business priorities were um, three things. One was to lead with clarity and then to make clear our two areas of focus, which were protect humans and protect cash. That was it. We we had a mantra. We don't talk to each other about anything if it doesn't do one or both of those things because that helping small business owners protect their cash. Um, And the average restaurateur, I think JP Morgan uh, released a report last year that said the average restaurateur has something like, you know, less than 30 days of cash on hand. And that's not necessarily reflective of all of our franchisees, um, but it's reflective of the average restaurateur uh, and small business owner in general. And so when you think about that, and then all of a sudden demand, there's a demand shock and revenue dries up, conserving and protecting cash, getting vendors to put a pause on fees, um, us figuring out as a franchisor how to um, delay or defer owed royalties and put a pause on advertising funds. Um, it was one big path of clear, clear focus. And then, you know, at the same time, protect humans. How do we make decisions to keep people safe? Make sure we can keep people being, um, paid if, um, you know, if they are, um, not able to work, are tests available or not shutting down our office, you know, all of these things. So help, help our small business owners conserve cash, and protect people, and that those were the priorities. So um, it became easy to process it because I it sort of created a call to lead in that moment.
0: You know, I think it, it's an interesting view you had uh, from particularly from an economic perspective. For first of all, you had front row on a health perspective, clearly. I, I cannot imagine being in a hospital and with the pandemic coming and thinking about. Because as Corona, you know, I, I just could not even imagine that. Um, and then I, you bring up a good point. Then you're seeing the shortages. You're seeing that in real time. But then you had a front row seat, and you know, it's easy to think just from a corporate perspective, you know, with with your accountability for focus and your you know and your investors and private equity. But you're a franchise business, so you are the front seat with business owners. So. So first of all, how you know you 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 have a you know a big team at Focus Brands, and I'm sh- and I'm sure you know different life experiences. And you, you, and, you and you talked about um, the two things you wanted to focus on. How did you help give them space for the personal processing as well, in addition to doing those two things for the for the business? And I want to talk a little bit about these friends these small businesses as well.
1: I mean, the personal place to process is simple. You just hold space, right? Yeah. Webinars conference calls, um, more Q&A, more touch points. We had daily calls with our team, with a core team. We had daily or every other day calls with franchisees, which is a very high frequency in the franchise business. Um, our employees, our key leaders, were talking every day, sometimes twice a day. So it's, you hold space, right? And you right. then navigate together.
0: If you kind of transition then to this front row seat you had to small business owners, which are what franchise owners are. First of all, what did you see coming from these small business owners? You know, what what was, you know, do they understand what was happening? Was there desperation? What was that, what were you observing? And then, you know, how do you position to help these people that put their livelihood into these franchises?
1: Really observing that it's, a, this was a tremendous amount of change. It's called a demand shock because it is shocking. Um, it is sudden, it is unexpected, and it is extreme. So the observation is people go into preservation mode um, yeah. and helping them navigate that, giving them tools, resources, being helpful in preservation, um but also being a calming voice to keep them plugged into what's going on beyond their world. You know, if they run two stores, their world is very small. Um, they work in one city, they focus in two zip codes you know, they're, they're really focused on what they're seeing in the news and on social and then what's happening in their store. And part of a leader's role during a time of shock is to also keep things in perspective. So keep connecting, honoring what's happening locally, because that is their world and that is what we must help them navigate. Um, but then also plugging it into both upcoming maybe challenges that could be worse that they need to think about and prepare for, but also bright spots Um, things to think about silver linings, if you will. Um, And keep in mind at this time, there was also a rush by the government to come in and figure out how to provide some type of aid um, for small businesses and for individuals. And so there was really being a funnel for communication when it is so overwhelming um, was something I observed that they needed and that we chose to use our role um, to deliver.
0: Right. And then, of course, uh, you know, we go into or um, we're, so we're still in the midst of just um, an incredible period of, of of time in our country, and in the world around racial equity. Um, and I know it's something very important to you. And, you know, and as we and as we record here, of course, today in our hometown here of Atlanta, of course, John Lewis is a. Is, is laid to rest uh, today. And um, and uh, so I'd like you, you know, if, if those of you follow you on social media, of course, um, you, you've made some interesting, uh, some great uh, observations. One in terms of the proximity you are to so much around uh, the civil rights here in Atlanta. If you talk a little bit about, you know, perhaps this moment and John Lewis and, you know, what that means and really where you live and how that is kind of bringing whatever, drive or passion or, or motivation to do what you do?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, um, I live, literally live, um, within a half mile of, um, the Martin Luther King center, um, and the, um, and MLK's house where he grew up. Um, I am, that means I'm what two miles from the center for human rights And um, it's just really a very powerful nucleus of civil rights and human rights history um, in our country. And so, you know, there are constant visual reminders of that history and a lot of honoring of that legacy. And literally, you know, I go for a walk and I see the daily tours of people on their Segways and in, in the little bus, you know, driving past to see these Things. Um, so that's just interesting being in physical proximity to it. There's just a constant reminder um, of the past, the present, you know, how the halo effect of these titans of change um, have affected our world and, and continue to affect our world long before they're passing, including the recently passed Representative Lewis. Um, so, so that's the physical proximity piece, and that's incredibly powerful that I live in this community um, with this history. And um and and then I think that just makes it even more charged for me personally. It's not just social media. I'm not in digital proximity, I'm in physical proximity. Um, uh, when the marches were um at a, a real peak after the murder of George Floyd. Um, you know, I I was able to join a a march every other day. Um, And multiple weekends on end, they were so accessible. You know, it was just a part of life. It was just, uh, and still is. Every once in a while, I'll see a group and go over and I follow a couple social media accounts where I know that these expressions um, and demonstrations are being formed and I go join them at the MLK Center or at our state's capital, which I can walk to from my house. Um, and so that, and then I share that on social media. So that access, that proximity, that frequency of interaction with demonstration and movement and diversity and, um, you know, civil progress is a big part of my real life. Personally, mine and my family's, I bring my son to peaceful demonstrations, my husband joins me. Um, and, uh, and then that lives online, right? Then I share those things that demonstrate not only that this is important to me personally, that encourage others to look for these opportunities to, um, participate in civil and community activity.
0: And, and then, uh, and of course, of course, one of my favorite uh, moments from, well, there's many great moments from when we last spoke, but one is about this, incredible ability you have to stay true to yourself and be authentic in every aspect of your life, including, you know, your, your, you know, quote unquote corporate life. So, so talk about how you then bring, uh, I would say not just passion, but this leadership around civil rights and racial equity that you personally have into the, you know, COO and president role that you bring in. What does that look and feel like in a, in, in, in a big company?
1: Uh, well, first, you know, I'm I'm very active on social media, my personal life is very public. And so not all of our employees and team members and leaders connect with me on those platforms, but many do. So the first way it shows up is because I show up in very public platforms, and they see that and they know that about me. Um, and so not every leader is comfortable blending personal and professional. Um, I am I'm a I'm a zenial. you know, I'm a cusper between the Gen X and the millennials. I've grown up um, being a um, digital immigrant. You know, I didn't grow up with all this digital technology, but at a very young age, I was an early adopter, and so I've become uh, moved from becoming a digital immigrant to being a digital citizen. Um, but I'm not a digital native like Gen Z. Um, but that that affects the way I show up in the world and makes me a bit different than, say, you know, I'm 42. Someone who's 52 who is a, um, who is digitally distant. And maybe just now through the pandemic becoming more active um, in the digital world, not necessarily in the social side of the digital world, more in the commercial side of the digital world. Um, and so our employees and team members know who I am. I'm not someone outside of work and someone different inside of work. That would be impossible because I'm so public um, about my um, passions and points of view. At the same time, I represent an incredibly diverse stakeholder base. Not everyone believes what I believe, um, and and so I have to remember that I have to honor and respect that what I uh, manage and the franchisees that I lead and the team members that I lead truly are diverse. Um, and some of them are very conservative, and some are very progressive. Some are born first in another country; others are native sons and daughters of the United States, and so. Um, I have to remember that, and that means that there are certain things that I might be an activist for outside that are not front and center in my meetings with my team. As an example, right? Um, and and I can make the same example for someone who has a passion about race cars. They don't talk about race cars every meeting they're in, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and uh, I don't talk about. Uh, some of the things that I advocate for in every meeting. But I do find ways to make sure that there, number one, aren't violations of my values inside our company, that I am generally proud of the journey we are on. And journey is a, a, a chosen word. It is about progress. It is about improvement. I am never satisfied. I am pleased, but not satisfied. and um, And that will always be the case until I'm running my own company, right? That I found and that I own hundred percent because until that is true, then there are many other stakeholders, not just shareholders, but stakeholders, employees and franchisees and vendors and communities that we serve, um, that I have to keep in mind and people have to be on a journey at a pace that they can believe that is authentic. It doesn't feel like performative, um, stances or, um, inauthentic, gestures but it also has to happen at a pace that the business can handle you know that where you can actually do what you say and so I remember that and that means things are always slower than I want Um, but if they are co-architected by the community whether that's employees or franchisees it will be more it is more real and it's stickier and it's authentic and then then it grows on itself
0: so, you know, with that, I think that's an incredible perspective. And, and I think we've even had a conversation before about this, about being kind of, um, you know, you talk about, uh, what was the term between the Gen X and Z that you just called it? Uh, uh, exenio- Xenial. What was it? A customer. Yeah. And so that many talk about Gen X also being a kind of this bridge generation. Um, so, you know, so perhaps maybe two perspectives here. So if you were to give advice to perhaps, you know, a Gen Zer or young millennial who's trying to be cat cold, but they're, you know, in a more junior role, or perhaps on the other side, if you have someone who's a, you know, a 52-year-old leader who's, who's managing you know, some passionate you know, zeers or millennial, what are some mistakes or advice you give to either side of the spectrum in helping people be authentic, but still, um, but perhaps what, what are some mistakes you've seen or some advice you could give to people to be true to themselves, without stepping over those bounds. Cause you've probably seen so many people and have talked to you and, and maybe you've seen mistakes in terms of their training to being true to the self, but it, it's, it's perhaps gone to the point where they've actually hurt their journey more than they've helped their journey in doing so.
1: Yeah, I suppose there are examples of that. There are examples of, of the opposite as well. I think this is a case of many things can be true at once. Um, sure. There are people who are able to bring their authentic self uh, forward and do it really beautifully and not derail their, um, careers or their personal circle. And then, yes, there are those who might not be aware of some of the distraction they're creating from their career capabilities or their professional journey because of the way they're handling things. And I I think about it just in terms of culture, you know, I'll um, use an example that's not related to this specifically. It's not about being an activist and then showing up at work and then how do I figure out how to do that or being a, um, a um, staunch evangelist Christian outside of work? And then how do I show up at work? I'm not talking about those very specific extreme things in this example, but it relates. It's the same muscle. Um, So I was born in the United States and English is my first language. If I travel to another country where a different language is the first spoken native tongue, what I don't do is show up, speak English, expect for everybody to know my language and say, sorry, this is the language I speak and you've got to figure out how to talk to me, right? I, of course, no one does that or very few people do that. You, you, you learn how to say hello, please, and thank you. You learn how to say, where's the bathroom? You have the translator on your phone. Um, it is because you respect that you are entering another culture, And in order to navigate that, I have a responsibility to do my part to at least have some bridges of communication. And that means research, and it means learning, and it means trying, and it definitely means being uncomfortable, because I don't speak that language as a first language. I am going to butcher some of the words that I learn, and I will probably be made fun of. Um, But if I only go in speaking English, maybe I'll find some people who do um but it would be quite rude for me to presume um that they should speak to me in that language and even if i do um there will be many others who don't speak english and then i will struggle to find my way to the bathroom and get help and order food um and so i think about that as an example of culture a very literal example of language and culture and and i have learned how important it is to view all interactions with a similar framework. We are varying cultures. And if I'm going to talk to someone with a different culture, I have some responsibility to learn a little bit, make an offer, make a gesture, seek to understand, ask for help. I won't know everything, I won't be perfect, Um, but I have learned that those who have the humility and the curiosity to have that mindset, ironically, ending up having more courage and confidence to navigate their way through those interactions, those communities, and the world. So then apply that to the situation you asked about, which is advice for um, someone earlier in the journey or someone who's much more mature and seeking to understand kind of a younger employee base. And it's just talk to each other, right? Have a Zoom call, have a coffee, get to know each other. That's it. Like, that's the secret, right? Just what's going on in your world? What should I know? How can I support you? What's your biggest challenge? What are you most proud of? What's going on in your life? Just, if you just learn that about someone, everything is different, everything. You have more desire to help each other. You have now a personal relationship. You don't see them through the lens of your conscious or unconscious biases, um, about their age, about their race, about their education, about their work experience, um, about their offline or online activity, Um, that is the answer and it's having a respect for culture and then building, even if it's quick surface, personal relationships and everything else that I could give advice on, I could give a ton of advice, but it would all follow from that foundation.
0: And so much seems like it comes back to the culture that also leaders create. And it's, it's pretty interesting. It'll be interesting to see because it seems to me there's this, an interesting time in terms of what's happening now in the world and also uh, generation, you know, Xers and so coming into leadership roles, uh, senior senior leadership role, CEO roles, that it'll be interesting to see the transformation of culture and companies and perhaps create that platform you just talked about as well, too. And, and you know, so, and, and shifting a little bit here, Kat, and one thing, um, you know, kind of, I mean, not directly tied to the pandemic that we're in, but a little bit tied to it as well, too. Um, you know, this interesting uh, topic that always comes up about work-life balance, Equilibrium, reality—however you want to talk about Uh, it—but we're in this world now where much of the world, uh, or at least on the corporate side, at least um, people are working from home, and uh, now you have Zoom calls from seven to seven um, or even beyond. You know, how how do you think in kind of in this in this role about work-life balance, work-life equilibrium um, in this kind of new world? And perhaps the lessons aren't different, but the the circumstances are somewhat different, uh, that we're in as well.
1: Yeah. I don't think the concept of, of balance is different. One, I don't believe there's a such thing as balance that hasn't changed. It's really more about harmony and paying attention to, um, where your energy is being spent and how you're showing up in different aspects of your life. Um, but it is certainly a bit of a different exercise when the worlds have become, Kind of all collapsed into the home for those who have the luxury of continuing to work and working from home. Many do not. Um, and so every time people ask me questions like this, I, it's an important reminder a giant swath of the country are in jobs that cannot be done from home, right? They're service right. workers, they're fr- frontline workers. Um, and so that reality of work life balance is different than the reality of those navigating working remotely and from mostly from home for the first time. And so you're dealing with people who are interacting with the public who cannot work from home with varying mask guidelines and registrations that just make everything more heated and confusing, um, who may or may not have people at home who are high risk individuals and have a bit more fear of just doing their job every day, whether that's an Uber driver or a healthcare worker or, um, Ah, uh, one of our our police members, or a firefighter, um, somebody working at the grocery store, right? All the you can imagine. Even if there are amazing methods for safety, masks and sanitizer and gloves and t- distancing and all the things, um, but that still can be incredibly stressful. And and then you have the other side, which is a lot of people losing their jobs, um, and the greatest you know, micro periods of contraction and employment and our economy, I think what I just read since that we've seen since the depression. Um, And so that's real, right? Then you've got people who have to work and have to go and can't be home, schools closed, and then maybe someone else in the home, if there are two um, parents uh, in the home, two people in the home who have lost their job. Um, And there is a real mental health element to all of that even if there is if there are unemployment benefits even if both still have there's a real mental health burden that everyone is feeling and some groups much more than others and then you have these complicating factors of if i have to leave my home to work or if i've lost my job if my kids can't go to school if i do or don't have childcare. um that's a different spin on work-life balance. Work-life balance, or work-life harmony, as I like to call it, work-home harmony, because work is life too. Work-home harmony um, is a conversation that you can have when there's not an overlay of deep, deep mental health challenges um, and extreme stresses that are being put on the average person. That's in a good situation are presenting real a real crisis of mental health, just um, stability, right and then you add on those who do have other challenges, and it, it complicates it. So that's um, I'm I'm really paying attention to that, and very concerned about it. And an infrastructure for childcare for those who have children is going to be a great um, topic and uh, an important solution to reducing the mental health load and improving work-home balance or work-home harmony. Um, then when you get to those who do have the privilege of working from home to keep their jobs, to be at home with kids who are, or aren't in school or inconsistently in some type of childcare or school, because even if you have access to childcare, it's inconsistent. COVID cases pop up, they have to close, um, or you get scared or another kid notifies with contact tracing. And then you got to take your kids out. I mean, it's just up and down, up and down and really unpredictable, um, Similar things are true that those working from home and couples, if you're fortunate enough to have a partner at home, have a very serious mental stress load. Even if they're just sleeping, what they've read on social media, what they're dealing with during the day is all running you know in our minds. I'm hearing people talk about crazy dreams and restless sleep and uh, you know all of that affecting how they show up at home. So um, I think a new priority, and work-home balance are tools for childcare and mental health. Um, that that is a new lens on something that isn't a new topic.
0: Well, uh, well, Kat, one thing I do want to um, then perhaps shift back to is around uh, entrepreneurism, and actually being pretty specific on something on uh, that's a little bit uh, you know, kind of a fun note here. But I think since we last talked to you, you joined a board. Of uh, of um, of Milk Bar with the, uh, supporting Christina Tosi, I believe. So talk about how, how that, that came about, and just um, I, now you know, I think I may have emailed you. I'm a huge fan of, of what she does, but you know, how, how do you get in, in engaged in a, in a board like that? You know, how do you how do you view your role in, in supporting someone like uh, Christina, of course, who has a very successful uh, you know brand. And uh, how do you support and how do you see yourself supporting entrepreneurs and even beyond what you do with, uh, you know, your franchises, you know, as you, you know, go forward?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm on the board of Milk Bar. It's an amazing brand and organization with a beautifully talented founder and CEO and Christina Tosi. Uh, The way that got started was we were introduced by some common industry friends and professionals years ago. And over the years, um, I've just been a huge cheerleader of her work, um, offered up being a support as she started scaling the business beyond its early foundation into multi-channel um, and uh, other elements of evolving the business. And so um, I think it it came to be in a very organic way over years of just being there for each other and um being fans of each other. And then when an opportunity came for her to expand her board and her looking for someone uh, who understands different elements of the industry, then um, I was fortunate enough um, for her to reach out and ask if if I would be able to, um, to join the board. And I was incredibly happy to do so. And it's amazing to witness, not just her creative genius, because a lot of people have been able to see that, um, through media, but her leadership genius and her ability to lead a team and be a chief executive um, is something that um, many people don't see on the creative side of things. So that's how that came to be. And, um, and then as it relates to supporting entrepreneurs, which she is and which my franchisees are in their own way. Uh, and then beyond that, I just always remember the, the businesses that my company owns and runs all started as one all started as one. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, that sometimes people start something and then do the hard work that, you know, that's hard work in and of itself going from zero to one. And then they scale it a little bit and then they take some investment and they scale it a little more. And eventually it catches on because they're both lucky and good. Um, and, uh, and, and then it reaches kind of the height of these well-known brands that that people know and love, but other times it doesn't, right? Other times, small business is just small business, and that's amazing. It is literally a massive engine in our economy that is being threatened right now by the pandemic and um, economic uh, disparity and economic downturn, and then the you know the oncoming challenge for brick and mortar retail, which a lot of small businesses are. So for me, I just take a lot of pride in contributing to that ecosystem whether it's through mentorship classes blogs newsletters instagram live chats linkedin posts you know just trying to share learning and expertise on any and every platform possible because it makes the lessons i've learned that much more worth it and uh, they are formats and forums where i can meet and be inspired by really amazing people doing hard work in the trenches.
0: And, and um, you know, obviously there's some people who just are, are, you know, go out saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. There might be folks right now, because of their employment situation, are considering being an entrepreneur. Um, and, it might, and it might be, you know, it might be interesting to mm-hmm. see how it could get some creative genius in the world from a, from an unlikely circumstances. So what, what's that one advice for someone who might be thinking of being an entrepreneur, whether it's creating the next huge tech company or whether it's the next, uh, franchise or corner, you know, store, what's that one or two pieces of advice you'd give them to really get things going as an entrepreneur?
1: One that, you know, if you have the means and again, not everyone does. Right. Um, whether it's because of family demands or economic demands, um, but if you have the ability to start something, I don't know that in our lifetime, there's ever been a better time. One, because if whatever you were doing dissolves, there's a really good re- excuse. <laughs> you know, so it's people will get it when you if you say when when five years from now, if you're looking back and telling the story in 2020, I lost my job in 2020, I filed for bankruptcy. Nobody's going to judge. <laughs> right. It's like, right. Yep the world blew up. Of course you did. Um, And so there's this permission, there's this window um, of reasonability of changing course that is very interesting and opportune. Um, Then I will add that there is an abundance. um, There are, there are so many tools that are low code, no code. You can build a website, you can build an app, you can build a marketplace by going on to these tools, these websites um, that already have the basic infrastructure built, and you can very visually create what you want if it's a tech product or a tech enabled business without a lot of money um, and without an engineer, at least you can get it started. And so um, that's also really powerful. It's another reason that in our lifetime, um, there has not been a good of time as good of a time as as this. Uh, To start something because of the constant improvement in tools that people have access to if they just do a little bit of research um, to low code, no code tools, um, building a website, being able to monetize what you do as a creator, you know, whether it's Substack for newsletters or Patreon or um, Superpeer or I mean, there's so many sites where you can take what you do, put a price tag on it, offer it to the world, and people can find you. You don't have to pitch. You don't have to do sales. Of course, the better you are at pitching and sales, the more people are going to know about what you do. But there are so many tools to monetize your advice, your craft, your skills, your experience, your work product um, that are available. And you again, you don't have to pay money to get on the platforms. You just, of course, if you if you have sales through those platforms, then those platforms share in some percentage of that. It's how most of them work. Um, And that's fine because that's the way the world works if somebody else brings you business and builds a platform that lets you so easily create a commercial thing. Um, So I'd say there's, you know, never been a better time if you have the, the time and the economic wherewithal to focus on something new.
0: How do you find your inspiration to keep driving at the highest level possible? What is that? And perhaps it's not really much of a change from what it was You know, you know, four or five months ago. But how do you find your inspiration now?
1: Um, I will say first that while I want to generally put my talents to the highest and best use, I do not try to operate at the highest level possible at all times. I think that's like a path for burnout, Um, and so I don't put that burden on myself. And I have a general goal of you know progressing and growing and putting my talents to the highest and best use, but I do not expect to be peak, you know, all the time. Given that, um, where I find inspiration to just continue growth, um, not be at peak, but continue growth is, um, from people doing real work, you know, someone who's cleaning bathrooms, um, someone who is a local organizer an activist an entrepreneur, um, you know, building their business from the ground up like that. Um, all of us who are starting something or trying something new or breaking our backs in service to our families. Um, that's inspirational to me. I don't look up to celebrities. I don't look up to, um, uh, maybe some of the typical icons or idols. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think celebrities have a very important role in our world. But it's not where I source my inspiration. I source my inspiration um, from people doing real work. I source my inspiration from home, you know, watching my husband navigate this world like everyone else and still be an amazing father and husband and partner, watching my kids delight in the little things, you know, I allow my cells, my being to be colored by the simplicity um, of everyone around who I see, um, who who may be earlier in their life's journey on this rock than me, um, or who may be at the end of their journey on this rock. Um, I just, I think humans are magic and those that I can see and have proximity to, whether it's on a social app, um, or my own family or stories that are being told or individual entrepreneurs that I can help like that. That really does inspire me, um, every single day.
0: Well, Kat, I think that's, uh, that's just well said. And and I I know for a fact, there's uh, many, many people out there who find inspiration in your words and, and what you do and your actions. So, uh, so thanks for, uh, spending time again with us here in the disruptor studio. Um, I think it's a perfect time to hear from you. I know I learned something every single, every time as well. Um, so thanks again, Kat, and we will uh, see you again soon.
1: My pleasure. Thanks.
0: That was Kat Cole here on the disruptor studio. And in such a difficult year, it's always good to hear from someone like Kat to hear, frankly, her authenticity comes through as she wrestled with these problems herself both in terms of her business world life personal life and really focusing on everything she cares about so hopefully you found some nuggets of insights and and frankly some inspiration so you could continue to achieve your greatness even in such a difficult year and if you have not listened to the our original discussion with cat cole that was filmed in front of a live audience make sure you go back to episode one of this podcast series where we have replayed the entire conversation with Kat and I promise you, you will enjoy it and get incredible perspective and insights and advice from Kat on leadership, innovation, inspiration, and here's her fabulous journey. And you could also go onto our YouTube channel and you could actually watch it live and watch uh, Kat and I uh, have that discussion. We'll see you again in a few weeks on the Disruptor Studio. I'm Alex Gonzalez. See you soon.